Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Brewers, it's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think. Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin and brothers and sisters. Greetings to uh, Brew Strong. With me today is my dear friend, Mitch Steele, uh, uh, the head of brewing at uh, New Realm. What is your title now? Brewing, brewing operations, brewer, brewer. What, what do you call yourself? Uh, I just call myself brewmaster. That makes it easy. There you go. <laughs> uh, master of all that's being brewed at uh, new realm and new realms really expanded since you, you started a few years ago. It's uh, you've got the, the operation in Virginia, you've added distilling, right? Yeah, we've we've been growing. Uh, we've we've got three locations right now. We had four. We unfortunately had to close one recently, but we've got a brew pub in the Charleston area in South Carolina, and we've got our production brewery in Virginia Beach. And where I work is the Atlanta Brewery, which also does a lot of production, but also focuses a lot on innovation. So. You know, anytime we're doing something with a new hot variety or a new recipe or marketing is asked for some sort of wonky beer, uh, it's, we'll do it and uh, we'll do it in Atlanta. So it's a, it's a pretty good dynamic. We've got distill, two distilleries right now um, within the breweries that we have. So uh, we're, we're really starting to put a lot of focus on spirits because there's a huge appetite for it in our mm-hmm. area. I think that's the, the growth in the craft world the craft drinks world is, is all in, in spirits. That's really where it's, it's coming on strong. People have shifted over there. Yeah, I agree. I, I think we, we've seen that and you know, it's funny, we got into this and I think you and I talked about this at one point, but we got into uh, getting a distiller's permit because we were losing a lot of event business in Atlanta mm-hmm. because all, because of Georgia law, all we can serve as a production brewery is stuff that we make on site. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't bring in spirits or wines or ciders or, you know, anything, you know, that wasn't made by us. So we got a distiller's permit and started, started making some spirits. So <laughs> that was, uh, it, and, yeah, and you know what, it's, it's turned into a great thing. So it's, um, you know, it's a been lot, a big part of our business. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. You know what, what else is a lot of fun? Hanging out with our dear friend, uh, John Blickman, Blickman Engineering. He sponsored this show for, God, I don't know how long I've been doing this show, Forever. 15 <laughs> plus years. And uh, he's been kind enough to support it and, and make sure it keeps happening. So 
Uh, all you listening, if you get a chance, make sure to uh, check out BlickmanEngineering.com. You can send a, a nice uh, email, do feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. Tell John he reads them all. Tell him how much you appreciate uh, him uh, supporting the show and making it happen. Uh, check them out. Lots of great equipment. Very innovative. And like I said, a lot of fun. He's a very fun guy. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about genetically modified and genetically engineered ingredients and how they can affect uh, your brewing or maybe even the beers you buy uh, in, in yeast, in uh, malt, in hops. Um, there's, there's a lot that's happening and the future may, may have, I don't know, consequences? Should I say something? I don't know. <laughs> Depends on, on how you view it, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, Mitch, tell me, what's the difference between gene editing and genetically modified organisms? Genetically modifying or gene editing? What's, they, they sound different, but similar. Yeah, they are. They are similar. It's, it's something that, you know, I'm on the... Um, uh, a subcommittee with the Brewers Association, and we've we've been talking about this a lot because it's we're starting to see movement in several beer ingredients in this in this realm of of gene manipulation. But for my understanding, and we are trying to put together something that really clarifies this: genetically modified or GMO means that you are taking a gene from a different species and inserting it into the species that you're trying to change. So you're taking something from a different plant and putting it into corn mm -hmm. genetics or something like that. Whereas, whereas gene editing uh, with, as it relates to, to yeast and, and, um, and to beer ingredients, my understanding, and I'm not an expert on this, so if I if I misspeak, forgive me, but my understanding is that this is a process that uses um, enzymes or something transferred into uh, the organism's cell that changes the gene structure of the organism. So, for example, when we're talking about thiolization and thiolized yeast, there's a gene in most brewer's yeast that's inactive that mm -hmm. converts thiols into, into aromatic flavors or frees up bound files, thiols. Mm -hmm. And we can get into all that, but um, you know, it's just, it, it's how these researchers are turning on these genes to make it work. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's my understanding of what's going on at, on the yeast side and, and with gene editing. Now there are some GMO yeast as well. Uh, which has been pretty interesting to play around with, but yeah, it's um, it's very confusing. You know, I think is is consumers. You know, we look at GMO and say, oh my gosh, but you know, it's it's everywhere. And yeah. I I will tell you, most brewers that use some of these ingredients are struggling with how transparent to be about it. You know, should and, should we be concerned about the safety of using gene edited or GMO? Uh, materials in our in our brewing so i don't think gene editing presents any sort of risk to people and and you know there's a lot of work going on in canada with gene editing and they've got some very stringent requirements but you know mm. in general you know they've been um saying that this process is incredibly safe um you know to consume the products after the fact gmo is the one that's more controversial you know, and people have different beliefs. And, you know, if you talk to people that are strictly science people, they don't see 
by and large don't see a huge issue with GMO, but mm -hmm. you know, it's a, the connotation is, is something that everybody has to deal with. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say it's safe or not safe. I, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, you got to trust the people that understand the process and understand the risks. And hopefully there's enough testing going on to make sure that it is, you know, it is safe. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, we, we all consume GMO produce, you know, I, I mean, corn, tomatoes, all, all that stuff is, is mostly modified at this point. You know, I think uh, it was back, oh, I don't know, decades ago that, you know, this, you first started hearing about genetically modified corn and then people worried that they'd plant it and it would take over the world and, <laughs> you know, the monsters would come. And, um, but, you know, uh, and for me, I was always like, well, that's stupid. It's going to be fine. But on the other hand, um, you know, uh, you think back, you know, to things like, I don't know, there's, for example, radium, you know, they thought radium was the cure-all and they were giving people radium <laughs> and, you know, they were consuming radioactive, uh, you know, materials and uh, that had tragic consequences. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they said it was a cure-all. It was, you know, a miracle. So I, I can see where people would become quite concerned. Um, you know, and, and, and for me, I think, you know, people just need to know what they're being given so that they can make their own decision on it. You yeah. Know, it's not necessarily something we should stop, but on the other hand, something that, you know, should be, maybe needs to be labeled. I don't know. So, um, in specifics, how does, uh, gene editing or GMO apply? apply to yeast itself because that's the one i'm seeing a lot of so there's there's a couple of things that are going on with yeast um there are <clears throat> it's interesting you know because for the first time in my life i've had to sign ndas uh non-disclosure agreements with some yeast suppliers um you know and and they are patenting these processes and and this yeast and the, and they're registering the names and all this kind of stuff that you know you we never used to see in this business right mm -hmm. and but with yeast there's there's two primary things that I've seen number one is uh, the yeast that produces lactic acid during fermentation so that you get a nice clean lactic acid sour during fermentation and you don't have to do any kettle souring. Mm -hmm. um, and those we've, we've done a lot of work with those at new realm and have had good success with them. Um, I think, you know, the lactic acid production is, it, it doesn't seem to impact the rest of the fermentation uh, too severely. The yeast is tolerant to the low pH and mm -hmm. the beer comes out good. If anything, it comes out, it may come out a little too acidic. And so, you know, there have been times when we've blended that down a little bit with some beer fermented with just a standard ale or lager yeast. Um, so that's that's a big bucket of of modified yeast that's out there. And then the other one <clears throat> that's really more recent, uh, just in the past year or two, is are, are these stylized yeast strains. And you know, if it, there's a ton of research going on in hop chemistry and you know, if you go back 10 years, everybody was talking about oil content and myrcene content and things like that. And now 
people are realizing that there are these compounds called thiols in hops, and they're also in malt apparently, but they are very aromatic compounds when they're when they're free or available as a pure thiol. Uh, you know, we're talking nanograms um, uh, per milliliter, you know, so like 0.05 parts per billion kind of kind of levels, mm-hmm. astronomically low, kind of hard to comprehend. But these are very fragrant and very aromatic compounds. And, and they're identifying, uh, you know, the researchers are identifying these thiols that they're finding in hops and, and some of the hops that are that are high in thiols or hops like citra and some of the Southern hemisphere hops. And then there are hops that have a lot of what are called bound thiols, which are attached to some other molecule or something. And, and what these yeasts do, these, these modified yeasts is they can, during the fermentation, free up those thiols. And so you get an instantaneous blast of, tropical fruit flavor in the beer and we did a we did an ipa that started off its life as a west coast ipa in the brew house but we fermented it with one of these yeasts and by day two the hop character had gone from classic citrusy resiny to 100 percent tropical fruit and we didn't dry hop or do anything with it uh, it was just absolutely amazing mm-hmm. uh, the flavors that are produced uh, from using these yeast strains so it's been fun. Um, you know, there's, there's some companies that are really diving into this hard, uh, mm-hmm. some yeast supplier companies. So it's, it's been a really interesting development, I think. Right. I, I, uh, heard, uh, that, you know, there, there's other, other yeast where they're actually taking genes from, let's say fruit from blackberries and they're inserting that in. Yeah. Uh, in a yeast and then i've tasted the, the product of that and it tastes like blackberries or you know they'll take something really? from hops and they'll put it into yeast and it tastes like it was a ton of you know cascade hops added to it yeah i've heard of the hop one i i hadn't heard of the the was it blackberry that you mentioned or blueberry yeah yeah, yeah I, whatever I, fruit it was yeah <laughs> i haven't heard of that one i've i've but yeah, the hop one, you know, the it, it was touted as a yeast that you could use and avoid having to dry hop. And then you'd get mm-hmm. more, more, you wouldn't have the losses you see when you dry hop. Right. Um, there was another one that was a diacetyl reducer, I think, that was inserted. Right, right. Strains. Yeah. So the yeast doesn't even produce diacetyl during fermentation, which mm-hmm. I thought was really strange. Um, but you know, it'd be interesting to play around with it. I haven't, I haven't looked at that yeast yet. I've, I've heard of uh, some people using that um, and, you know, some of these others and it's, it's becoming, you know, fairly broadly spread um, now it seems to me, but yet I don't hear the breweries really talking about it in their, when they describe their products. It's kind of, you know, again, it gets back to that thing. It's like, well, should you tell people what's going on with this? Yeah, that's the conundrum. I, I think, yeah. uh, you know, how transparent should we be? And, and believe me, we've had conversations about this at our company. And the Brewers Association is trying to come up with some recommendations for transparency mm-hmm. when using these products. And, and it's not something that's been 
easy to resolve. Right. You know, uh, you know, should you just should brewers just make their own choice as to whether to tell people, should they disclose it? Should it be on the label? Um, you know, it's not an easy question to answer. Well, because it goes back to, well, you're still just using, you know, malt, hops, you know, water mm-hmm. and yeast. You know, it's just, you know, it's been modified. You know, it, it kind of comes along the line of enzymes. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people, you know, they turn to craft brew because they viewed, you know, big brewers as using, you know, who knows what in their, in their beer. You know, it was all sorts of, claims of adding some sort of additive or some sort of chemical or whatever it would be mm-hmm. that could be harmful for you. So you really okay. wanted craft brew, which was, you know, very pure and, you know, follow yeah. the right heights about, or, you know, or, or didn't and used fruits or whatever. And, um, it seems odd to me, uh, you know, the use of enzymes as well, you know, then, then enzymes started becoming a thing and, well, it's always been a thing, but um, brewers started using it more. I know a number of brewers that add an enzyme to for diacetyl reduction mm-hmm. or for uh, clarity. You know, I never, I never did because we didn't have a problem with diacetyl. We didn't have a problem with clarity. You know, we're able to do all those things without using the enzymes, and the enzymes would have cost us money. Yeah. So it didn't make a better beer and it would have cost us money. So the answer was no, we didn't. <laughs> but, we've, we've done a bit, uh, you know, we've used beta glucanase to try and, you know, with big, huge mm-hmm. beers that have a lot of dark malts or a lot of, you know, non-barley malts like wheat or rye or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea is that that breaks down the, the really gummy beta glucan component in, in the mash. And so you can louder it. Right. Um, you know, and, and, you know, we've had mixed results with that. We've, we've tried the, um, uh, the diacetyl reduction enzyme mm-hmm. and, and then, uh, the other one that I, you know, I'm seeing a lot of brewers use, you know, and, and this was the enzyme that was used in brewed IPA, um, you know, that breaks down all the, all the starches into two chain. Yes. Yeah, so maltose. Yeah, the yeah. amylase enzyme. And, you know, that that was what people were doing to make brewed IPA to make them, you know, so dry that they finished it below zero terminal gravity. Um, and, you know, when people are doing low carb beers, that's typically what they're using. And that that's the one that somewhat surprises me because that always has been the realm of the big brewers, you know, with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, using these enzymes to really knock out any sort of residual dextrin content whatsoever and make the beer low calorie, make the beer, you know, light. Um, You know, that never was something that until recently that craft brewers really messed around with, but Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a lot of it. Well, and I think part of the issue there is if you use an enzyme in the mash, you know, the, the, you know, a beta glucan uh, enzyme, the work goes through the kettle and gets mm-hmm. boiled and the enzymes get denatured and no yep. longer really exist or they're, you know, destroyed and don't function anymore. And so the consumer, you know, there, there you find, if you add something cold side, a lot of the uh, enzymes I saw recommended filtering and things, sterile filtering and stuff <laughs> like that to remove the enzymes yep. at the end, or at least reduce the, the count down where 
as for most crafters, especially smaller crafters, they're not filtering. They're not, you know, pasteurizing. They're not doing anything. Those enzymes are, you know, still present when they send this beer out to to market. (laughs) And so that becomes a question. Again, I don't think it would harm me because I put in my stomach and the acids there denature the enzymes and, you know, I'm good to go. But um, I can see how people would be worried. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have more with Mitch about uh, GMO and uh, genetically uh, engineered products in brewing right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Talking, uh, talking with my good buddy. And uh, I really appreciate you doing the show. Yeah, it's, I did. <laughs> it's it's fun. It's good, great to see you. And thanks for asking me. It's I was looking forward to this. Yeah. All right. So we were, we were talking about enzymes. Um, anything to add on the enzyme discussion? I, you know, I think with with all the research that's going on into things like hop creep and and things like that, where brewers are starting to realize that just the naturally occurring enzymes in yeast and hops and, 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 you know, these regular ingredients in beer can still be active in the package, you know, because Mm -hmm. as you said, you know, brewers aren't by and large, aren't sterile filtering or pasteurizing their beers. And, you know, with the, with the dry hopping changes and, and hop variety changes and things like that, you know, there is uh, a, bit of a risk of, of fermentation continuing in the package uh, a little bit, you know, and the, the enzymes breaking down the dextrins into fermentable sugars. If you have yeast in there, then the yeast are going to act on it and ferment it out. I mean, it's basically, you know, hop creep continuing to happen after packaging. You know, that's not a huge issue, but I, I do think it's something brewers should be aware of. All right. So, uh, I kind of got sidetracked off of <laughs> yeast. So, um, they're, they're using something like CRISPR to yes. slice and dice yeast or they're, you know, um, they're punching in, uh, uh, genes from other, other things like fruits or hops or whatever. And then is there some sort of limit to what they can do with this technology? Is, are we, are we not thinking broad enough? We're thinking just kind of some kind of flavors. I mean, 
Can they make yeast that you sprinkle on the malt? And then, you know, in a week's time, there's beer sitting there or, you know, how is this going to change? Yeah, I, you know, I think, uh, honestly, I think this is just getting started. Um, And, uh, you know, the people that are working on these things are incredibly intelligent and can probably figure out how to do anything that somebody sees a need for. Um, you know, I think right now, most of it's focused on flavor and, and getting the flavors you want in a beer without having to jump through a whole bunch of hoops. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like with a, with a souring, uh, yeast, um, you know, that kind of thing. So you don't have to kettle sour and you don't risk having the butyric acid forming in the brew house and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I, I think the door is opened. Uh, and it's opening mm-hmm. wider and it's going to be interesting to see what people come up with. I saw recently that uh, one of the companies came out with a thialized lager yeast. And I'm like, okay, I don't think I want tropical fruit in my lager, right. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, some people might and, and, you know, right. good on them for, for giving it a shot. It, and it may be a big thing. And, you know, I, I think, um, the other thing that I think is related to this is I think there's a lot of work going on with um, with gene modification involving crops and, you know, uh, with drought tolerance and, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of things being bred into barley, for example. And, you know, I, I mean, in 2021, the barley crop was so bad. Um, you know, and, and it came in, I believe it came in at its lowest total volume since 1949. That was oh, the wow. number I saw because so much of the malt was unusable for, uh, or so much of the barley was unusable for making brewing malt out of, mm-hmm. um, you know, so w- one of the things that, that we're catching wind of is all the research is going on in, in Canada in particular with creating new malt malt varieties that are more drought tolerant uh, mm-hmm. and can deal with weather extremes better because, you know, whether you believe in global warming or not, weather patterns are changing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, drought is a very real thing in Europe and in, you know, where they grow malt in the United States and in Canada. It's It's been a real issue for, for a few years. Mm-hmm. So are there any genetically modified or genetically engineered malts that you know of my understanding is nothing has been released commercially yet it's mm-hmm. just research that's going on the growers are probably the ones that are going to drive this because if they can increase their yield per acre mm-hmm. um they're going to be all on it you know right. and um you know so it's it's definitely an agronomic thing as opposed to you know a changing a beer flavor kind mm-hmm. of thing on well, this sort of thing, don't they spend like five years growing test crops and seeing how they work and testing testing them after molting and all that stuff? And they yeah, them sure all right. It takes quite some time to do this. It's not something people think it just happens overnight. It's like, well, no, the technology is invented. Then people start applying it to things and they test those things. And it's, I'm sure decades yeah. in the in the making. I'm you sure. Know, getting back to enzymes, um, you know. I guess is maybe 30 years ago or so that they started making artificial or man-made enzymes to accomplish certain tasks, hmm. which, you know, you haven't really heard of, but it's 
coming on. The technology is advancing and they use it for all sorts of different things. Um, it's pretty fascinating, uh, pretty fascinating subject. You know, it's interesting. I think uh, the brewing business has always been pretty focused on new technologies. And I, I think, you know, since the 1800s, you know, in the industrial revolution, so much changed because of the brewing business. And, you know, um, and I think craft brewing kind of took it as, you know, took it back you know, to what, you know, what you called pure and natural and, and, and which was all great and, and was definitely a response to what was going on with American lager brewing. But now, you know, it's, it's the technology and the innovation side of it is starting to come back because it's getting very competitive and, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to have something that differentiates your beer from everybody else that's brewing great beer. So, you know, it's interesting. It's been a real interesting thing for me to, to watch over the last few years, um, you know, I spent, you know, as you know, I spent a lot of time uh, with Anheuser-Busch and, you know, the technology was always something that was very important to that company. Mm -hmm. They didn't take it as far as uh, some of the other companies in the United States did. Uh, They, they still maintained very traditional German brewing processes, but, you know, as far as instrumentation technology and, automation technology, that was something that Anheuser-Busch embraced a hundred percent. And, you know, it just made things more efficient and, you know, you get more beer out of the end at the end result, you know? Right. You know, it's interesting because, uh, um, when I was with Heretic, uh, when I'd order stuff like, um, dextrose or, you know, it was made from corn or, um, you know, flaked corn or something like that for use it in, making beer, you had to make sure that you were purchasing something that was non-GMO or you had to pay extra if you wanted non-GMO. Yeah. And, um, and the reason for that was, you know, the customers were concerned. They, you know, thought that, you know, you, you got questions. It's like, you know, you, I'm sure you get the question all the time. It's like, are your beers vegan? Yes. Right. We get that question a lot. Yes. Right. Like, okay, so you can't use anything, you know, that wouldn't be vegan. So um, it's the same thing with, you know, folks concerned about GMO. Yeah. Um, so I think if you're, if you're concerned about that and you're buying, you know, just packaged bulk, you know, uh, corn or dextrose or whatever you might, might, might have, you might want to ask your homebrew shop, you know, if it's GMO or not, because, you know, homebrew shops, they need to c- compete and stay alive on price, uh, but they need to compete and stay alive on customer service too. So um, you never know what you might be getting sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, and it, you know, no one knows if, if it's a concern or not, but, you know, obviously people have opinions about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I, I, I think it's a good idea to ask and just understand. I, I think understand you know, where your stuff's coming from, understand yeah. where it's coming from. I think that's so important, regardless of what, you know, what you're concerned about, just knowing the source of your ingredients, you know, whether you're home brewing or professionally brewing, it's important. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. On that note, let's take a, a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have more about uh, genetically modified, genetically engineered uh, crops and brewing. Right after this.
back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Want to tell you about my good friends at Brew Chatter, a great homebrew shop in uh, near Reno, Nevada. It's in Sparks, technically. Uh, right near Revision Brewing and uh, a couple other great breweries out there. Good folks. They have a great shop, and I'm sure they know whether their, their products are GMO or not and can help you with those questions. Uh, really great guys. Uh, very uh, generous towards the community as well. If you're ever out around Sparks, uh, you know, check them out. Go in there. They got a nice little bar. You get some great local beers. Uh, if you uh, are ordering off the web, you can find them at uh, brewchatter.com. Good folks there. Check them out. Also sponsors of the show. That's why I mentioned them. <laughs> so if you're using the genetically modified yeast, they express whatever compounds into the, they ferment and express whatever compounds. If you were to make sure to remove all the yeast, you sterile filtered the beer or pasteurize it, the yeast were gone. Um, is that, you know, less of a worry to the consumer or does that not matter? Since the yeast have already expressed the compounds. And I guess yeah. the, the compound that will turn you into a zombie uh, <laughs> is already in there. Right. Right. I, I would imagine that is that, both those processes would remove, you know, it's, it's, it would remove any enzyme, you know, that is, uh, you know, part of the genetic structure of the yeast that frees up files or whatever. You know, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if any of those compounds or, or mechanisms in the yeast cell are secreted out into the, into the beer as it's fermenting, whether it would stay there. So pasteurization would be, you know, probably the safest uh, bet for abs- absolutely removing any residual impact of of that yeast, but yeah, I don't know. I think that I think you know people still need to learn about it, and uh, there's a lot to learn. When I heard about this, I thought that the the market for this wasn't the craft brewer or the you know or the big brewer. It was homebrewers. I thought homebrewers would have a lot of fun with this, and they really didn't have to worry about you know what the commercial market thought of them, they could just have fun with it themselves. But I don't know if it's available to homebrewers through homebrew shops. Um, I think some of it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've, I've seen it. Um, you know, I've seen homebrew packets of, of some of these yeasts. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's available and you're right. I, I would have expected homebrewers to, you know, it may not have been available for a long time, but it, for very much time, but I, I would expect homebrewers be, being as creative and as innovative as homebrewers tend to be would be all over this. Um, right. You know, it's, uh, and, and honestly, I, you know, I've always felt that homebrewing is what's driven innovation and in craft brewing I and, agree. you know, and, and so um, it's interesting that the craft brewers jumped on this with as much vigor as they did, I think, you know, yeah. Most craft brewers, you know, came from homebrewing now. So. Well, that is true. <laughs> um, what I found when using some of these things is, and, and my talking with others who have, is it's, it's not something, you know, you, you, can, you can taste the character of the yeast, you know, and it's not that natural seeming sometimes. 
you have to kind of blend it with other, you know, you gotta, if you're doing something that, you know, producing a lot of tropical fruit, you gotta make sure you're also hitting with a lot of other hops that kind of match up with it. Otherwise it kind of stands out. seems a little unnatural at, at, at points. Yeah. I, I think it, you know, it can, it can be one dimensional, you know, I, right. I think, you know, and I think, um, I think most brewers follow up the fermentation with an additional dry hop so that you get mm-hmm. some, some what's considered more normal hop character right. in the beer. I think, and I think that's important. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, you well, know, it's all like, about balance, right? Yeah. It's like using, um, some of those new hop products where, you know, they've stripped out a lot of the leaf matter and you're just adding the oils and, you know, a lot of the, just the resins and it doesn't taste right. You have to use the yeah. hop leaf matter because it's, you've got to have that taste in there. Otherwise it's very strange. Yeah. It's too much of a departure, you know, and, and I, I agree. I mean, I think that's a great comparison because, you know, playing around with some of those new hop products are, they're great and they're fun. They're great to try, but you, you know, in the end, I always end up blending back in some, some normal type 90 pellets, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, oh, and yeah. trying, you know, Same here. in, you know, then I get a, a flavor, you know, work on getting a flavor that's exceptional, but, you know, still has elements of tradition and, you know, craft beer tradition. So I think, mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think that's really important. You know, speaking of hops, is that kind of the future? Is there, um, something that, uh, uh, we should expect. I mean, they've, I think they've kind of avoided that for a long time. Right. And I think they were talking about this long time ago, and then they just stuck with traditional breeding on the hops. Uh, why is that? Do you know why they haven't, uh, gone further down that road? Well, um, yeah, I mean, hops, hop breeding is still very traditional. It takes 10 years to really vet a new variety. And I, you know, I, I, I can't speak for hop farmers as to why they've, they've stuck with the tried and true, except that hop farmers and farmers in general tend to be conservative about this kind of stuff. And they're probably not seeing the impacts of the weather. I mean, they certainly are in, in mm-hmm. hop growing regions, but maybe not to the extent that, that barley growers are in, mm-hmm. in the middle of the country or the middle of the continent. Um, you know, I can I can tell you that, uh, you know, I've been learning in the past few weeks about how poor the German hop crop is and the hop associations in Germany are encouraging growers to grow newer varieties that have better ag- agronomic uh, qualities than the old, old varieties like Hollertau and Tetnang and, and Herzbrucker. You know, I'm concerned about that because I, I love those hops and some of the right. new German hops have been really adequate uh, additions to that, that kind of flavor profile, but, you know, some of them, some of them have more fruit character and, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, but hop varieties come and go, it's, it's, it's kind of a natural thing, but I think farmers, hop farmers in general, I think the ones that are involved in breeding, enjoy breeding Mm -hmm. and enjoy growing the hops and, and, you know, um, I, I just don't think they've they've gotten to the point where they feel compelled to go down that road yet. And uh, I don't I don't see it happening anytime soon. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I could be proven wrong tomorrow, but I think, you know, I think there's so much going on with breeding right now. Mm-hmm. It's really exciting that, you know, 
there may not be a need or perceived need. I, you know, I know some of the hop varieties don't have good agronomic qualities. And, you know, when you start learning about that, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, cashmere, brand new hop variety. It's, it's got a very limited picking window and Centennial is, you know, early and, you know, and hop growers are looking at, you know, when the hops ripen up, um, you know, during the harvest season and, and they call that the picking window mm-hmm. and they're growing hops so that each period of time during the harvest season is filled with hops that are maturing and they don't stack things up at the beginning or at the end where they can't bring them all in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that might, that might be something that, that people look at, but I, I think, you know, by and large hops have remained very traditional in the approach. Right. I, and I, I kind of think, you know, the opposite in a way, because I, I think, you know, previously they were, you know, one, they didn't know that there was any money in it, but it's been proven that there is with all the, the, um, you know, copyrighted or trademarked or licensed hops that are being mm-hmm. grown now that are quite popular. Um, they're seeing that they can charge a, a boatload more for those hops than they could for, you know, other hops. So that's, that's the one shoe. And the other shoe is they're seeing that, you know, people are accepting the yeast being modified. And then I think if, if they start doing stuff to, to malt, they'd be like, yeah, why aren't we doing it to, to hops? And so I would be surprised if they're, they're working on it now. I would, I would think they're working on it just to see what they can do. And, uh, you know, somebody's working on it, whether the growers will grow it. That's another question. Yeah, that is another question. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing to look at. And I think, I think you're right. I think if, if malted barley or or barley breeding goes down this path, then yeah, it would be a natural progression of things for, for hops to follow. I, I just haven't seen any evidence of people doing it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but there's a lot of smart people, a lot of, a lot of really well-educated people doing a lot of research on hops right now. So, you know, it's quite possible that somebody's going down that road. Right. And, you know, I assume it's, you know, essentially the same processes that, you know, they would, they would do for, you know, other grains and, and for yeast uh, in the way they would modify it. And isn't there, um, you know, susceptibility to, you know, mildews and blights and things like that. I would think that that would be something they'd want to engineer out of the, uh, out of the hops and, um, you know, drought tolerance and, you know, like you're saying, uh, change the picking window on them. Lots of things that, uh, you know, I'm sure they, they could do, you know, maybe even up the production of, uh, alpha acids. Uh, yeah. Is yeah, I think you know it's a it's a whole new world, you know. It's mm-hmm. a, and I think you know honestly, I I think if they if the hop growers and the hop industry goes down this road, it'd probably be more focused on pest resistance, you know, the the mm-hmm. powdery mildew, the downy mildew, those those kind of things that can really really destroy a crop very fast, um, you know. And then and then maybe you know drought tolerance as opposed to you know picking windows or yield per acre or things like that, which, you know, are going to be important too, but those are all things that they look at. So, you know, I think it's all, <laughs> it's, it's all possible. 
when they when they started in working with corn and things like that, what was it they were trying to achieve there? Was it again pest resistance or you know, I'm not really sure. I I, yield, I suspect it was yield um, mm-hmm. and and maybe, you know, agronomic. I mean, I'm sure it was mostly focused on agronomics, whether it was mm-hmm. yield or whether it was pest resistance or whether both, it was, both yeah. can result in, in, in better uh, profits. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what I, I like to see progress. <laughs> You know, so, and I like, yeah. I like technology. So for me, it's all exciting and it's all good. I'd like to see them go as fast as they can and, and see what comes of it. But, uh, um, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure how others read that. Yeah. I, I think I'm with you. I mean, you know, we have, you know, this, the science background and, and tend to embrace scientific development and research and things like that. And, it, you know, it's coming, you know, and, and people mm-hmm. that are involved in the ingredient industries are saying very loudly, it's coming. And yes. so, you know, I, I don't know, it's, it's not going to stop, I don't think. And, you know, so I, I think anything that helps the brewers and helps the growers make a little more money is good. Mm-hmm. You know, that just helps everybody. We can keep beer prices down or keep them reasonable and you know not have to deal you know maybe right. weather some of the inflation that we're dealing with right now and everything yeah. so yeah yeah the price of everything's gone up just insanely in, mm. in brewing and, and everything else but boy it just you know suppliers that would just tell me it's like yeah we're gonna give you a new price every month you know i'll let you know each month what the price is gonna be and you know you have no choice no you're stuck no. And so much of it has to do with shipping costs, which are incredibly mm-hmm. volatile right now. And they, they've yeah. skyrocketed in the past couple of years. Right. And, you know, and I, I remember, uh, you know, we were negotiating a mall contract and I said, why did the price go up again this year after you took it up so much last year? And they, their short answer was shipping. Shipping costs have mm-hmm. increased dramatically and they can't make any money at that old price. Like, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess the shipping companies are are making, uh, you know, giant windfall profits. Well, uh, I hope somebody's making some money. Because <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of a lot of it, uh, a lot of the inflation that's happened has been from profiteering. You know, people yeah. see that that opportunity to take as much as they want and they get greedy. Yeah, and, uh, they've got a built-in excuse, you know, or a reason. Right, right. So, yeah. And, and they think, oh, you know, they think nothing of it, but, you know, they're kind of killing the, uh, the goose that lays the golden egg. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a very short term, short term point thing. of thinking. Yeah. All right. One last short break. And uh, after we come back, we'll, we'll wrap up with uh, any thoughts, thoughts you have uh, after this. And if you're listening live, feel free to ask questions in the, in the live chat on the Brewing Network uh, page on Facebook. And I actually can see those and can ask them away. Uh, We'll be back right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're talking uh, uh, genetically modified and genetically engineered uh, ingredients in beer what kind of impact that may have. I think it's exciting. I think uh, it's inevitable in a way. 
um, unless the consumers really push back against it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think it's, it's coming, you know, and it, you know, it's the research is going into this is phenomenal, you know, and also the research is just going into hop chemistry and understanding what's in the oils and hops mm-hmm. and, and in the, in those lupulin glands and, you know, under, they're identifying new styles all the time, you know, mm-hmm. so they're, you know, the, the researchers are doing deep dives into, into what components of hops uh, are contributing to beer flavor. And they're learning so much new stuff, you know, and I, I don't know, there was one hop supplier who put out a, a research um, paper, or a, it, it was basically a chart that showed how well the, the hop flavors survived fermentation. Mm-hmm. And it's very variety specific, you know, Centennial mm-hmm. was the one, you know, that if you use Centennial in the Whirlpool, more flavor is going to carry through the end of fermentation than any other hop that they tried. And they have mm-hmm. this whole, you know, bar chart. And, yeah, and, Centennial and, is that way. I mean, yeah. you can always taste Centennial no matter where you use it. Yeah. So, I, you know, that kind of research is going on is only going to help brewers make better beer, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, I 100% embrace that. Well, and um, yeah, I, I've always, you know, in the the studies and the information that's coming out is this fantastic. There's an, an acceleration. It's like Moore's law, you know, on you know hop chemistry. You know, they're, they're doubling the the amount of knowledge. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a <laughs> logarithmic increase in knowledge. Yeah, um, and I, I think you know. Interesting to me is, you know, y- you go back to um, uh, IBU calculations, you know, so way back in the day, we all calculate IBUs using a formula, there were mm-hmm. several formulas, you picked one, and it was wrong, uh, <laughs> you know, it didn't really matter, because what it was, was just a way for you to put a number on what you were doing, and you could adjust from there. Yeah. and. Um, the um uh the the thing is the reason it was wrong is because it depended on in in my view the yeast you were using and certain yeast will take more of the bitterness out certain yeast will leave more of it in you know the finished beer is always going to be different and um so I, I think there's a fascinating bit of research to be done in the combination of of hops and yeast and they're they're doing a lot of that now with the uh you know, the uh, biotransformation and all that. I think there's still a lot to be done there. And maybe there's, you know, more genetic uh, editing to to do to make hops and yeast work together even better. We, we got a question in from Adam. He was asking, what's a good pH range going into the fermenter for those lactic acid producing yeasts? Um, just a standard work pH, you know, five, two or so somewhere in there, it, it'll drop the pH very quickly to low threes, mm-hmm. uh, during the fermentation. So you don't need to make any, you don't need to acidify your wort at all. It's the yeast will take care of that. There you go. And is, is there any way to, to stop the acidification at an earlier point? Say you wanted something more in the mid threes instead of the low threes. Does does having a more dextrinous wort, less fermentable wort, 
affect the amount of acid produced. If, if you, if it's two words, one that was highly fermentable and was going to finish lower in finishing gravity and, and one that was a lot less fermentable and would finish at a higher finishing gravity, are the pHs going to be different? I imagine they would. I, yeah, I mean, logically, you you would think they would. I, that is not something we've looked at. I think that's a really great question. Right. You know, if, if the extent of fermentation activity that happens in the tank, does that impact the final total acidity and pH of the product? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we've always approached it as, you know, never trying to stop it, just blending if we needed to. And that was, right. you know, um, that, that's been very effective because that softens the, the tartness, um, mm-hmm. you know, in some of the beers that we've made. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I will say we do a beer that's got a whole bunch of lactose in it. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, a, it's a sweet Berliner Weiss with, uh, uh, with lemon and tea in it. And it's supposed to taste like an Arnold Palmer. Mm-hmm. And we are using one of those um, lactic acid producing yeasts in it. And the sourness is very mellow, you know, because of all mm-hmm. the sweetness that's in the in the beer as well. And, you know, from a, would have to go back and look at our analytical records to see if the pH is actually um, higher in that one, because that one has less fermentation activity. That's a really interesting question. There you go. That's what I bring to the show. Interesting <laughs> question. <laughs> well, and if you if you like this and you like the uh, the uh, material that we put out, uh, make sure to check out our fine sponsors. Check out uh, Blickman Engineering. Again, he's been doing this, paying for the show for like sixteen years. Fifteen, wow. sixteen years. <laughs> that is a lot a lot of uh, coin and a lot of information that we've provided. And check out our good friends at uh, Brew Chatter up in up in Reno. If you're around that area, they're the great beer up there. Mitch, have you, you you've been to Reno, haven't you? It's been many years. Uh, it's I, been about seven or eight years. I need to go. My my brother actually moved to Reno a little while ago, so I need to make a trip. At some well, point. there you go. And let yeah. me know if you're going. I'll, no. I'll, it's a short ride up the hill for me, and we'll we'll uh, meet up in Reno and hit all these places and have some. Fun. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. If you're listening live, stay tuned. Uh, we're going to have a uh, Q&A show uh, right after this. And uh, Mitch is going to stick around for that, answer uh, some of the questions that people have sent in. And uh, if you're listening live, you can ask your questions in the chat, just uh, on Facebook, on the Bring Network page. You go to the you know, uh, video there and uh, live chat, and you can just type your questions in, just like Adam did with his fine question about pH. So until then, everybody, Bruce Strong, 